Underwriting for AutoLine this week is provided by... We are IAC Group, a global tier one supplier of vehicle interior solutions that span the rapid, ever-changing needs of today's industry. From interior design and engineering to manufacturing and delivery, IAC, our heritage, your advantage. From the Auto Line Studios, here is your host, John McElroy. I want to thank everybody for joining us on AutoLine this week, where our special guest is Larry Dominique. Many of you may recognize him. Larry's been on the show before, but back then he was working in product planning for Nissan. Isn't that right, Larry? Yes, I was, John. Uh, a little different now, and always a pleasure to be here. Always uh, a pleasure, and a little different, because right now, Larry is the executive vice president of data solutions at TrueCar. Mm -hmm. We're going to be getting into all that, and part of that is ALG, Automotive Lease Guide. I'm dying to ask him questions about that, but I've also got to introduce my journalist panel, which includes Steve Finley, the editor of Ward's Dealer Business. And Craig Trudell from Bloomberg, and great having the both of you, you here, too. Good to be here. Larry, just so those who don't know much about True Car, I'm sure a lot of the audience mm -hmm. does, but a thumbnail sketch, what's it all about? Yeah, basically, True Car is a, basically an information platform or a marketing platform where we provide a lot of uh, actual market based data and historical data on basically the price of vehicles. But it's a website where people can go and buy and sell cars, isn't it? Correct. That right? It's really in two pieces, John. There's TrueCar.com, which is the branded site. But we also have over 100 affinity partners. We are a key partner for USAA, PenFed, Geico, Consumers Reports, where we actually do white-labeled, branded um, car buying services for them as well, using the same process but under their label. There's been some controversy, too. I mean, you guys see yourselves as providing a great service to consumers, but... You've run into some problems with manufacturers, Honda in particular. Yeah, what really happened is about four or five months ago, uh, when TrueCar went live with our advertising for the first time, uh, we became very aware in the marketplace by consumers and OEMs and dealers not on our system. We had about, at that time, about 5,500 dealers on the network, and there's 33,000 dealers in the United States. So there, we had about one out of six dealers in the U.S. on our system. What happened was people started to uh, pass information believing that we were inappropriately using some of their DMS data, that some of the uh, regulatory hurdles in some of the states. Anybody who deals with the automotive knows there's 50 states with 50 sets of regulations. So there was questions about bird dogging and brokering laws. Um, since then, you know, we've, we've made a significant number of changes, and we can discuss that as we go through there as well. But what happened is through this noise, uh, we had a lot of dealers not sure what was really going on. Dealer associations around the country weren't sure what was really going on. So there was a, a bit of a panic initially um, and people coming across saying, I'm not comfortable with this. I'm going to get off your service. And we went from about 5,500 down to about 3,500 dealers. Uh, we're on our way back up again with the changes we've made. But, yeah, there were some concerns at first. Well, you know what I thought was interesting is TrueCar exists because of the Internet, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, TrueCar.com. And that whole controversy involving dealers was because of social media. Mm -hmm. And some dealer types are out there. I'm thinking of some activists like Jim Ziegler and um, uh, Dave Ruggles, mm -hmm. uh, Jeff uh, Kushner, who is a, a, a young guy. Looks, you know, looks, looks can be deceiving because he looks like a kind of a dumb surfer boy, but he is smart. I mean, he understands the web. And he was the one that put together this idea of, like, what is TrueCar doing mm -hmm. exactly? They're, they're representing themselves as the advocate of the customer, and they're representing themselves as the advocate of the dealer. And where are they getting their data? You know, you mentioned the DMS, mm -hmm. which is the 
the dealer management system or the you know the computer operating system at a dealership. TrueCar goes in there to verify that the leads that it gives to dealers for free until they're converted and then they're charged for, they go into that system to confirm that if there's a sale, then they can you know make the charge. And the allegation was that TrueCar was going in there to grab pricing information, and dealers were saying, wow, we're, you know, giving them our prices, and they're posting, you know, best price, dealer price, to the point that a lot of dealers felt there was way too much information on the web. They can't do anything if it's somebody else's information, but they felt they could do something if it's their information. So the softball eggs really hit the fan, and a large part of it was because of the social media that was swirling around about Well, certainly on the data feed, Steve, there was actually a tremendous amount of misconception. The reality is there's two pieces. Um, people have asked us, do you use the dealer DMS data, our dealer DMS data, to power our pricing curve? The answer is no, we never have, we never will. As a matter of fact, to make sure that nobody, that can not possibly happen, happen, we've recently redacted the feeds we get from the DMS providers that we don't even get the transaction price anymore. So the pricing on the curve is, comes from about 30 different data aggregators that we work with. So we get randomized, aggregated, transactional price data. We do have three-digit zip codes because we have to customize that data across the country because the prices vary across the country. But the actual DMS data from the dealers, another misconception, we've never actually gone in and gotten that data. Our dealers provide data to two different data DMS providers who then provide it to us. And we actually have a system set up where we actually so deeply have security on it, we actually have a separate server system in a separate cage with biometric reading. There's only a limited number of people that are even allowed in the cage to actually access that data. When you have customers like USAA who have generals and joint chiefs of staff and ex-presidents in their database, they are the benchmark for security and we meet all their requirements. So there was a huge misconception as to how the data was used. But kind of a firestorm that came out of that though was just the awareness from a dealer's point of view is how is my data used? Not just TrueCar, but I had a dealer walk up to me one day and say, I found out I had seven data agreements. I didn't even know I had any data agreements. So the DMS data is a critical piece of the dealer's um, intellectual property, and we want them to own that data. We only use the dealer DMS data that they provide to us primarily for sales matching. So when a dealer makes a sale, we have given them the prospect, they've gone through our system, they've gone into their lead management system, they bought a car. We need to find a way to match. Um, you know, as any businessman, we need you, to be able to invoice the audit, them. Yeah, you need to audit whether the, the lead has been converted into a sale. Correct. But how do you answer the, the criticism regardless of where the data is coming mm -hmm. from? And I believe that you, you guys aren't going into the DMS system mm -hmm. and grabbing data out there. There are a lot of people that don't believe you in the right. industry, whether, you know, the, the perception is reality. But is there, I think I know, know what your answer is going to be, but the charges that there's just way too much information. We've gone from giving customers no information about mm -hmm. the car, the transparency of the pricing, to everything. Mm -hmm. And there's no other industry that does that. When you say everything, you know, one of the things we believe from a customer point of view is this ability to become to the dealership at least aware of what's a fair price for the vehicle. And that's really our intention at the end of the day. We've done a tremendous amount of research and you talk to customers, how much do you think a dealer makes on the sale of a car? And you get numbers ranging from $1,000 to $5,000. We know the reality is more it's like $500 to $800 on the sale of a new car. So we, we also know from our research that consumers would rather go get their teeth pulled out than have to go negotiate at a dealer. 
Now, there's exceptions. I have friends that love the negotiation process and love to work with the dealer that way. But the majority of consumers, when they want to buy a stereo receiver today, they go online, they compare prices, they either order online or they go to Best Buy or wherever and purchase it. We want to give customers that level of transparency on the car buying side. So we want the dealers to, to provide a fair price. And this is another misconception. There was a lot of dealers and people believed we set the prices on the, on the website. That is completely false. It is 100% the dealers through the dealer portal that are putting the prices in. So if they're pricing exceedingly low, which was this race to the bottom you know, concern, we're not inputting that data. They're putting that in, inputting that data. So what we are doing now is we're providing better tools to the dealers as well. Some of that stuff actually goes live this weekend on our dealer portal to give them more of a measuring stick against the market pricing, not against each other. Because at the end of the day, we want the dealers to be our partner. We want the dealers to retain that margin on the front end. We've never had control of the back end, you know, F&I and other things like that. But on the front end margin, we really want it to be you know, symbiotic. We want it to be a synergistic relationship where we provide the world's highest quality leads because that, at the end of the day, is our intention. We want to provide a customer that comes through, they're a lower funnel buyer, someone who's ready to buy a car, and that instead of a 3 to 5% close rate from a general third-party lead, they're getting in the 20, 25%, which we do see on some of our affinity partner sites. I did an interview with Scott Painter, who's mm -hmm. the CEO, and we got into this whole idea of uh, is there too much information out there? It's like, uh, are, are, are companies like TrueCar just giving way too much? And uh, he said, well, the auto industry is the, the last industry to do that, to have this as a pricing transparency. And we published the interview, and a, a dealer reader uh, gave me a call, and he said, you know, you let him off the hook on that one. And I said, well, you know, it wasn't a police interrogation. <laughs> you know, but I thought I asked some you know, pretty fair and tough questions. Mm -hmm. you know, and then once I got through defending my honor to myself, I thought, well, he is right in a way. I mean, where else do you go in? You, you don't go into a grocery store and start negotiating the price of meat or, you know, here's what Kroger's paying, here's what, you know, Great Scott or whatever the, the dealer or the, uh, the supermarket, and I'm is. sure I'm giving my uh, age on Great that, Scott's that's going right. a long time. Why don't but you it, bring up A&P? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I, that's the issue. And, you know, you can't, I don't think you can put the toothpaste back in the tube. I mean, once that information is out, well, it's out. But there is a real angst among, you know, some people that it's just too much and it's confusing people and it's raising expectation levels and then lowering customer satisfaction levels at the same time if that deal doesn't come across exactly as they think it is because What's of the information. It's two points to respond to that, Steve. The first one is what we find, and we all know, there's been a basic 100-year-old business model for automotive sales. You know, basically customers walk into a store, they negotiate a price, they walk out. Very few other industries have a disparity between lows and highs for the same piece of equipment. So you go to buy a Chevy Malibu, you could pay for a seven or $8,000 swing for the same car. Consumers deserve the right, we believe they deserve the right, to have an awareness of what's a fair price for that car. I don't know. There's, you know, I go, one dealer, it's way over here, another dealer, it's over here. So we're just trying to provide this level of transparency that they understand what a typical price paid for that car is. There's always people who are going to pay low. There's always people that are going to pay high. There's a million reasons why that disparity is, exists. We also know there's an extreme difference in cost of sales. We know a high-volume dealer who gets stair-stepped incentives, who get higher volume bonuses, have a lower cost of sales than the local store who only sells 50 cars a month. 
So we know there's different cost of sales associated with it. So a large dealer with a lower cost of sales can offer a car at a lower rate than a car dealer who might not be able to. We're trying to provide that transparency to the consumer so they at least come in aware of what's fair. And interestingly, when we talk to consumers post-process, so they've gone through the true car process, they've bought a car, their satisfaction level is very, very high compared to most other industries. And what they tell us is, I spent less time in the dealership, I walked in feeling I was getting a fair price up front. Now, that's not just the people who got the lowest price. On our website, less than 20% of the time does the consumer choose the dealer with the lowest price. 81% of the time, they don't. Proximity is much more important. Experience with that dealer is more important, as long as they feel it's a fair price. You've got to be competitive. You've got to be in that competitive band. Well, and, and one of your critics that maybe had one of the sharpest tongues, I think, was Earl Hesterberg at Group One. Mm -hmm. He said something to the effect of, you know, uh, I've never had a dealer come to me and say, you know, Earl, tell me how I can find a way to sell a car at the you know, lowest price or lowest margin. Mm -hmm. But it, 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 to your point, I, I think there is maybe a, a, an, a, an inability for a consumer to go and into a dealership and walk away sometimes and not leave without thinking to himself or herself, I'm not sure if I got screwed. <laughs> exactly. You hear that a lot uh, for people who just bought a, a new car. It, it, it happens to any family member I know who's ever walked away from a dealership with a new car. They're not sure if they actually got a good deal. Well, the, ir the irony is that in the old days when there was no transparency whatsoever, they could have got the deal of the century, and a lot of them walked out thinking they got screwed. So, yeah, yeah. you know, at least tra the transparency really helps in that regard. But again, it's out there. There's not much anybody can do about it. You guys just became kind of the flashpoint about it. Absolutely. And what I will say also, Craig, is Earl's also the guy who's the most strongest proponent against air-stepped incentives as well. <laughs> so Earl runs a very large organization, has a lot of opinions, rightly so. So we, we do believe that we want to give the dealers also, and, and we are taking very seriously. Scott has been, Scott Painter, has been very vocal. Um, Scott has had a, a great experience the last six months. He's met with me along with most of the OEMs. He has gone around the country visiting every single large dealer group in the country, including Group One, AutoNation, and Sonic, Asbury, everybody else. And he's understood that we were focused so much on the consumer side, we really were ignoring our dealer partners. In the last six months, we've completely revamped our relationship with our dealers. Last Friday, we had for the first time our dealer council. We have 21 dealers representing all but two brands. Uh, many of them are multiple franchise. Uh, Gary Marcotte, uh, former AutoNation executive, is our independent chairman. Uh, these guys, we reviewed all of our future product and information with them last Friday, and they were very honest with us. This is you're doing, what you're doing to help us. You're not helping us over here. But one of the most important things we're doing right now is we want to help the dealers not just compete against each other. We were actually, in our dealer portal and some of our tools, we were actually only gauging success in your pricing formulas if you were the lowest. So it literally was, Craig comes in and prices his car. Steve looks online and goes, hmm, Steve's lower than me, or Craig's lower than me. I have to go lower than him. I log on and I've got to go lower than you. Comes like reverse bidding. It, to a certain degree, but it, was, it literally was a race to the bottom. We were in Miami a few weeks ago at the Automotive Leadership Roundtable, and Scott actually said that to the audience, to this, these top 100 dealers. We are changing the, the dealer portal. We now take away, you no longer compete against each other. We're sharing with the dealers, what is the market pricing in your area? Here's the distribution, here's the market pricing, here's the average price, here's, here's the tools you need. We can't tell them where to price their car. They have to decide. But they're going to go in and be able to say, you know, 
wow, the average price is 24.5. I don't need to price it 21. The other thing we've tried to there's, tell there's, them. Yeah, it's overpricing and underpricing. They're two bad things. I mean, you, Absolutely. regardless. And I, get, I will give Scott credit uh, for he, he was the poster boy of everything that's wrong, you know, mm -hmm. during that firestorm. And he got out there and really, you know, started being proactive. But, you know, he reminds me of that guy that uh, was tarred and feather and run out of town on a rail. And uh, he said, you know, if it weren't for the honor of all the attention, I'd be mad about this. <laughs> and, you know, I felt that Scott was in that position for a, for a long time there. He was. And, and Scott's background, he's got a diverse background. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's with Cars Direct and several other companies. And I'm not sure if I like that title, Circle Up. <laughs> carries certain connotations, but he likes to use that to describe himself. Certainly. But he, he did uh, say some things. We, he refers to it as his body of work. Um, that he's looked back now and said, you know what, through the last five or ten years, I've learned, I've realized that some of the things I've said and done in the context of this environment, this relationship between consumers, dealers, and third-party companies that work with them, that we have to moderate that, that thought. We have to really find a way to make the dealer successful at the end of the day. And what's interesting to me is when we talk to the dealers, they know that price isn't the primary driver. They've always got uh, some cars. They've got a lot rock that's been sitting in inventory for 120 days they want to get rid of. I understand that. But what they understand and what the dealers told us last week is they said, Larry, they said, we have a three- to seven-year relationship with a customer once we've got them. Help us deliver an experience to the consumer. So help us move them into our channel, be become a customer of ours through the true car process, but help us make it a great experience. Let us offer them on our site, you know, more access to who we are, what do we offer. And what you're going to see that's rolling out this weekend is we're, we're adding what we call the dealer vanity page. So as a customer goes through the process and ends up choosing a dealer, we're going to show a map of that dealer. We're going to have contact information for their Internet managers. The dealer's going to have the ability to provide VIN-based, in-inventory quotes back to the consumer. So we're trying to do everything we can to stimulate the customer to go buy a car. Because at the end of the day, our value proposition is that if you're a dealer, Steve, and you get a lead from True Car, you're going to instantly pay attention to it because you have a 25% chance it's going to close, you know it's a high-quality buyer, they're lower funnel, and they're ready to buy a car. Because that's where you're going to save money. You're going to be able to reduce your marketing spend, you're going to be able to reduce your overall cost because you're not buying dozens of leads to get that one sale. You can just pay attention to that one sale, which, by the way, we don't charge you for until you, still, until you sell the car. I know. I'd love to ask you about Automotive Lease Guide because this is a mm -hmm. part of the business I find fascinating and you run that, mm -hmm. wherein you evaluate new cars that are just coming onto the market and figure out what their residual or resale value will be somewhere down the line. And then car companies can set their leasing based on what the car is going to be worth. What do you look for in terms of evaluating what car is going to have good residual mm -hmm. value and, and which of the automakers do you think is really doing a good job with that? Okay, that's a multifaceted oh, question. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's going to take a couple of seconds to answer that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first thing I have to correct, John, is, is we no longer use Automotive Lease Guide. Oh, really? We changed the name to ALG about eight years ago, um, but there's a residual. Okay. But it's just ALG, anyway. It's just ALG. Okay. But to your point, we used to publish an Automotive Lease Guide. Yeah. On the residual value side, there are some key drivers that affect residual value. Um, I'll first talk about macroeconomics. Macroeconomic plays a big factor. Uh, wages, housing, um, day supply, or overall supply in the used car and the used car market. So all of those elements have an impact in those economic inf influences to residual value. 
More importantly to residual value are the things about the MSRP of the car, the volume expectation of the car, the fleet penetration, and I can't understate fleet. It's been a very bad word uh, affecting residuals, especially for the domestic brands, historically. So we also pay attention very much to the content of the car. How is it packaged? Uh, what are the price of the options? What we call hard ads and soft ads. Because there are some features that have good value in the used car market, and there's other features that don't. And I'll use an example. People say, you throw 10 airbags on a car. That's got to be worth something in the used car market. The reality is used car buyers have a different mindset than a new car buyer. They're not always looking for the latest gadget. But if you're a brand, for example, that puts super safety in all your cars, your brand's going to gain from that, that behavior of knowledge of safety. Volvo would have been the historical one to use for that. So we do have a brand component that falls into the residual values as well. So what would be a bad thing to put on a car? Um, bad thing would be something that's overpriced for that feature. A good historical one, Steve, would have been eight, ten years ago navigation. Uh, manufacturers used to charge 2000 to 2500 for navigation. And that car would come back to the used car market three years later, and the used car people didn't care about navigation. Hmm. You know, they, they're slower to adopt those new technologies, so it might have been worth $300 in the used car market. So that would have been putting in too much unvalidated value too soon. Over time, the OEM cost of Navi came down and the used car perception of Navi improved. And people started to value that in used car markets. So that would be an example of things. So we are looking for trends in new technology. What I'm hearing a lot of people ask us now about the IT or telematics. Things like MyFord Touch, other telematic systems. Do consumers value that in the used car market? Do they not? And in some cases, depending on the feature, yes, some no. I have an editorial staff that has the advantage of driving almost every single new car in the marketplace, which, by the way, I also benefit from. And as an ex-product planner, that's an exciting piece of what I get to do. <laughs> uh, but our editors have the opportunity to view and compare almost every vehicle in every segment, which gives my editorial team a great insight into, if you're looking at mid-sedans, you know, Camry Accord, Fusion, Altima, everything else, they know exactly how competitive each one of those products is, from seat comfort to door operation to steering and dynamics. So that factors into our evaluation as well. And that is a, a bit of the subjective piece because if you go from generation to generation and it's a small step, there's some benefit to that. But if you go from gen to gen, I'll use the last gen Sonata to the new Sonata as an example, a huge jump in the quality of the vehicle, the dynamics, the design, that has an influence on the residual value. So um, I apologize for the long-windedness. What we're seeing today in the marketplace is the residual values are actually recovering. Uh, what happened during the economic downturn, we had forecasted residual values. In 08, our forecast was actually well above the actual auction values. In the last few years, because used cars have been so tight in supply, auction values have actually come in higher than our forecast. Now, the banks and finance companies are okay with that because that's just remarketing money that they get back. They're much happier when we're a little bit conservative than a little bit aggressive. What we're seeing now is a convergence. Uh, our forecasts are moving up a couple points over the next couple years. I think in 12, they averaged about 45% as an industry. In 13 and 14, it's going to approach 47%. And we're starting to see auction values come down. So we think residual values are increasing right now. And because going back to the manufacturer question, John, Right now, you know, I've been in this industry almost three decades. I've never seen better behavior in the marketplace than I've seen today. On the part of the car companies. Part of and, the car and, companies. and you mean discipline. 
Not Absolutely. trying to just dump stuff in pro- the market. In terms of production schedule. Correct. Yeah. Managing day supply. Managing incentives to a very good level. Companies that historically had terrible fleet penetrations, 20, 25, 30% in rental car, are managing at 8%, 10%. So right now, it's very well balanced. Yeah, well, it took them a few billion dollars to learn that. They had to have their heads handed to themselves <laughs> to, have, to learn the lesson, right? Absolutely. But what we are looking for from an ALG point of view right now is... The SARS increasing. Industry volume is expected to go up to 15, 16 million again. The OEMs all tell us they're going to stay behaved and, and manage everything. But at some point, we're just waiting for who's going to be shooting for the volume grab or the market share grab. So we've seen the historical sine wave behavior. Who so might it, that be? You know, what I'll tell you right now is I don't want to hypothesize who might misbehave. But what I can tell you is... General Motors and, the, and Chrysler are a good example of historically bad behavior and incentives and, and fleet penetration. <clears throat> They've completely revamped the way they manage that on a day-to-day basis. Companies like Hyundai and Kia are rapidly increasing, and actually they're trying to manage that growth in retail and manage fleet. My previous employer has actually uh, bumped up incentives of late, but still staying fairly disciplined. So I think there are some brands that have gone out there publicly and said, you know, we want to quadruple sales, we want to get double-digit market share. You better keep your eyes out for those, is what I would say. Well, and there was that classic story, I think, in Automotive News just a few weeks ago that kind of cobbled together everyone's sales goals and said, if any, everyone hits their sales goals, we're at something like 19 million. Yep. You, you know that that's not going to happen this year. Uh, it may not happen uh, for uh, decades, but uh, it, it seems like everyone is is very aggressive in terms of their uh, numbers that they're trying to hit, and that Somebody's means gonna lose on that, that means either someone's going to lose or someone's going to to move in terms of getting aggressive with uh, pricing or incentives. Absolutely, it's a zero sum game at the end of the day. Somebody's going to eat their forecast before the year is over. <laughs> with that, we're going to have Phone to wrap it up. <laughs> Larry Dominique, thanks so much for coming in and talking with us. Steve Finley, Craig Trudell, thank you guys too. And of course, want to thank all of you for having tuned into Out of Line this week. Underwriting for AutoLine this week has been provided by... We are IAC Group, a global tier one supplier of vehicle interior solutions that span the rapid, ever-changing needs of today's industry. From interior design and engineering to manufacturing and delivery, IAC, our heritage, your advantage.